Good morning, friends. Another day, another time to move on in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 12 to 18. Uh, my working title today is, Do You Have Star Quality? Well, we probably should ask this other question, who are the stars from God's point of view? Well, Jesus himself said in Matthew 5, You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Paul says the same thing in Philippians 2.15. You shine like stars in the world. The word star was also used in the first century for a navigational beacon that would shine in the dark to lead the ships safely into harbor. Christians are bright stars in a dark world. We're put here to shine the light and so guide others safely home to God. Paul told the Philippians that they were stars in the world. Now, how do you spot star-quality Christians? Philippians 2, 12-18 clearly answers that question. Star-quality Christians have made five important commitments. Here's commitment number one. I will do my part. Verse 12 says, So then, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now notice Paul's first exhortation. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, I'll be honest with you, many people have had, have been confused by this statement because they read it as if it said, work for your salvation. Now, that, of course, is impossible since Paul himself clearly says in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 that we are saved by grace through faith and not by works. You can't work your way into salvation. It is a gift of God. So what does this verse mean? I think the answer is found in the next verse where Paul reminds us that it is God who is working in you. You see, salvation always starts with God. He first works in us to save us, and then we are to work out what God works in. In the first century, the verb work out was used for mining silver. Workers would enter the mine and bring out the silver that was already there. In the same way, we are to work out the implications of our salvation in every area of life. Salvation starts when you accept Jesus, when the Spirit prompts your heart to do that. But it never ends. True salvation affects every part of your life. If salvation makes no difference in the way you live, what's the point of being saved? If it doesn't change the way you talk and think and make big decisions, if it doesn't change your worldview and the way you evaluate your own career, what's the point of being saved at all? A salvation that doesn't change you is hardly worth having. Now, what does it mean to work out your salvation? Well, for one thing, it radically changes the way you view God's will. And here's the great question of life for every believer. Am I willing to do God's will with no strings attached? Now, many of us put conditions on our obedience to God. We're willing to obey if God will promise to keep us safe and healthy, if he'll guarantee us a good job or a happy family or no problems with our kids or long life and a good retirement. Well, let me plainly say that the God of the Bible makes no such deals with his children. The call of Christ is always the same. Come, follow me. We are called to follow Christ and to leave all the other details in his hands. So let me ask you this question. Are you willing to do God's will with no strings attached? Here's commitment number two. I will depend on God. Verse 13 of our text says, For it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to desire and to work out his good purpose. Now, we've already noticed the, noted the phrase, for it is God who is working in you, in verse 13. And this gives us the perfect balance. 
we do our part because God always does his part first. God always makes the first move. It's perfectly fine to say, I found Jesus, so long as you remember that the Lord found you first. Now, this verse also tells us that God gives both the will and the ability to do what he commands. First, he changes our want to, and then he provides the power to obey. Another observation, God intends to give us all that we need in every situation so that we can actually do his will. He'll enable us by his spirit so that we will both desire his will, and then we will do it. And I find this very encouraging. Often we look at what we lack and conclude that our problems are greater than our potential. But those constraints of time or energy or money or people or whatever are given to us by God. Again and again, he puts us in positions where we are unable to do anything without his help. And then he helps us. You see, what God demands, he supplies. Now, this truth comes to the heart of the gospel itself. When God demands full payment for, our, for sin, he supplies his son whose death fully pays the debt we owe. But that truth doesn't apply only to our past experience of forgiveness. It, it describes how God deals with his children day by day. What we need, he supplies. He gives us the inner strength to do his will, and then he makes a way so that we can actually do it. Yes, we must do our part, but we could never do our part unless God did his part first. And his part involves giving us both the desire and whatever else we need to fulfill his will for us. So let's set forth every day with all the energy we have to do God's will, knowing that we already have what we need to do it. And if we need anything else along the way, he'll give it to us. Here's commitment number three. I will not complain. Verse 14 says, do everything without grumbling and arguing. In the Greek, the word arguing might be better translated as murmuring. It's a word whose sound conveys the meaning, like the English words hiss or hum. It has the idea of muttering under your breath. Do we understand that complaining is an attack on God's sovereignty? Every time you complain about your circumstances, you really say, you know, if I were God, I, could, I would do things differently. The complainer has forgotten the first rule of the spiritual life, and this, is, and this is it. He's God, and we're not. If we focus on our problems, they'll fill our minds until we see nothing else. No wonder we complain and mutter and murmur. But when we focus on the Lord and his goodness, we see our problems in the light of eternity. God doesn't work on our timetable. And once we grasp that, we will not complain against the Lord. Commitment number four, I will be different to make a difference. Verses 15 and 16. So that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world. Hold firmly the message of life. With this commitment, we come to the heart of our text. Paul uses three words to describe how we should live. First of all, blameless. Above reproach, no serious accusation can stick. Pure, high quality, unmixed alloy. What you see is what you get. And faultless, fit to be offered to God like a lamb without spot or blemish. You know, friends, we will make an impact on the world by lives that are visibly, observably, measurably, noticeably, obviously different from the people around us. We are to be different to make a difference. Our values set us apart from the surrounding culture. Now, why is it so important that we be straight arrows in our lifestyle? 
Well, it's because we live in a crooked and perverted generation. The word crooked comes from the Greek word scolios. And you can probably guess that we get the English word scoliosis, a curvature of the spine. The word perverted is much stronger and in essence means crooked by choice. You see, some people are messed up because they don't know any better, while others live like that by choice. So how do you show someone that they're using a crooked stick? Well, you lay a straight stick next to it. You know, we can argue until the cows come home and it won't make any difference. You know, your stick is crooked. No, it's not. Yes, it is. I'm telling you it's not crooked. I'm telling you it is crooked. But friends, the change we seek must start with us. The world can ignore our arguments, but it cannot ignore a godly example. There's no answer for a life transformed by God's Spirit. What happens when we live like that? The world notices the difference. We'll shine like stars and we'll hold forth the word of life. People will see the way we live. They will notice the difference. The light of Christ will be seen in us. And when they ask us the reason for the way we live, we can share the word of life with them. Commitment number five, I will live for others. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run in vain or labor for nothing. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you also should rejoice and share your joy with me. So here's the final commitment we must make, to live for others and not for self. And Paul explains this here in two key phrases. First of all, he says he looks forward to boasting about the Philippians when Christ returns. Paul envisions a day when he'll stand before the Lord Jesus and give an account of his ministry. And that day, he plans to do a little bragging about the Philippians, what the Philippians had done for their own generation. That leads me to another question. What will you boast about when you stand before the Lord? Your job, a big bank account, your house, important people you know. Do you think that will impress, impress the Lord? I don't think so. In that day, the only thing that will matter is the impact you had on others for the cause of Jesus. Everything else will fade away. Second, Paul mentions being poured out as a drink offering on their behalf. Well, this refers to the Old Testament practice of pouring wine on the top of an animal sacrifice so that the heat of the fire immediately vaporizes the wine, turning it into a beautiful aroma. What he is saying is this, even if I end up losing my life for you, it won't matter to me as long as you live for Christ. See, with that statement, we come to the bottom line of Christian service. I wonder how many of us can truly say that it doesn't matter whether we live or die so long as the people we know follow the Lord. See, reaching the world has never been easy, and Jesus knew that it wouldn't be. That's why he said in John 16:33, you will have suffering in this world. It has always been true from the very first day. First they killed the prophets, then they killed the apostles one by one, except for John, who died in exile on Patmos. Many centuries ago, one of the early church fathers, Tertullian, declared that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You see, wherever the church has gone, the cost of a new field has always been paid in blood. My mind thinks about Hebrews 11, particularly starting at verse 35, and its list of believers who suffered for their faith. It says, others were tortured and refused to be released. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. 
they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. And then this wonderful phrase, the world was not worthy of them. Does it seem like too much? Does it seem as if the price was too high to pay? Now, before you answer, remember what God did when he sent his son to the world. Think of what it cost him to provide salvation for a human race that had turned against him. God also buried his son on a mission field. You are the light of the world. You shine like stars in the world. The world has its stars and God has his. God help us to shine like stars so that others will see Jesus in us. Lord Jesus, it's so easy to make excuses for the way we live. Forgive us for trying to make deals with you. Bring us to the place where we will say, I am ready to do your will with no strings attached. Thank you for the grace that is free but is never cheap. And thank you for the shining example of those who have laid all on the altar of sacrifice. Grant that we might do the same for the sake of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. One more note, we kicked off the daily grind last night. We had a nice crowd that showed up. We had great worship. We had some good teaching, some good conversation. Thanks for all your prayers. And until next time, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion.